Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Well, I know something about you um, tonight, even though I, if I don't know you well, and some of you I don't, I've just met some of you even today. Uh, but I know something about every one of you. I know what your greatest need in life is. And maybe you came here tonight thinking your greatest need in life was to was that your marriage would improve. Or you came in thinking your greatest need was for your children to obey. Or you came in here thinking that it was that you'd get a certain job or get into a certain school or that that your bank account would grow or that your retirement investments would would come back or that you'd be able to overcome some addiction or some sin in your life. Um, and those those are real needs. And maybe you walked in with those or other ones that I didn't mention and I don't wouldn't even know, but you know. But the truth is we have the same greatest need. And, and that great need of all of us here tonight is that we would see and know God as he truly is. Uh, I was just thinking as Ron was sharing his story, what God's grace to him to give him Psalm 24 to even in his memory of that as a young person, just to see God uh, as he's shown himself to be. And now we, there's all kinds of this. The Bible is there to show us who God is. But Psalm 24 uh, is where we're at tonight. And we get to see God here as he is, this king of glory. And and. When you get that right, all those other needs in your life can be dealt with. There can be joy and peace and security and comfort and all of those longings and desires and needs in your life and rest, hope, if you, if you get, if you see and know God as He really is. Um, so Psalm 24, we, we've, the last three Psalms have been part of kind of a trilogy, Psalm 22, 23, 24, and 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 this, like the others, Psalm of David. Um, and interesting, after the Jews came out of exile, so it's written by David, but after the Jews came out of exile in Babylon, and they're back in, uh, in, in there, and the temple worship is resumed, and all that is back in place, this became part of the weekly worship in the temple. There were different psalms assigned to different days of the week for temple worship. And this particular psalm, Psalm 24, was on the first day of the week or Sunday. So it's fitting for us to be here in Psalm 24 on Lord's Day evening 
to be to be looking at Psalm 24. And you think about that for a moment. And what what day of the week was it that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and the Passion? It was Palm Sunday, right? So that first day of the week, the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord as he's coming into Jerusalem. And what are the priests singing in the temple? Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And the city's crying, Matthew 21:10. who is this? And the priests in the temple are chanting, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so I, I just I thought that's striking. That this was part of that liturgy during the time of Christ and His triumphal entry. Well, Psalm 24 is about God. It's about the King of glory entering in His royal entrance, making a royal entrance into the holy city. We don't know the exact time or setting of Psalm 24, the time of writing. So uh, many think it was written uh, by David when the ark was brought to Jerusalem. And uh, the ark of the covenant, 2 Samuel 6. So the ark was that golden chest representing the very presence of God with His people. It had the two tablets of the commandments inside. uh, God's covenant with His people on on the top of the... Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat where the blood was applied to, for, for atonement. And so, so many think it was that. It's representative of God's presence coming in. Others think maybe it was, it was when the Ark arrived back at the city gate or temple after it had been taken out in battle, they would send it to the front battle lines and it would come back. And so you see that in Scripture. So we, but honestly, we don't know. We, we're not sure of the, of the setting. It's not, Given and it's, there's no certainties, several possibilities, but um, that's it. That, that we don't we don't need to know, and so we can we can see its beauty and we can see God in in whatever the setting it, it originally fell in. Psalm 24 is easily divided, and you have these three stanzas that 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 make that become clear. And so let's look at the first one together. The first thing that we see in Psalm 24, verses one and two, is that the King of Glory rules His creation. He rules his creation. If you want to put a little uh, imperative, a little action verb here, just contemplate, consider God here. And think about this. Verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now the emphasis in verse 1 is the Lord's. That's the grammatical emphasis there. It's the first word in the psalm. In the Hebrew text. And so it's like putting the Lord's in bold, all caps. He's saying, the Lord's the earth is. That's, that's where the emphasis lies. So these, these verses are claiming that, that the Lord alone, He has absolute ownership over everything. Everything. Not just the world itself, but everything in it. The fullness thereof. The rocks, the trees, the birds, the yellow jackets. Yes, Frank. And, uh, everything. The sand gnats that I got eaten up and the mosquitoes and the wind and rivers, the whole world, everything in it belongs to God and He has rule over it. And, and so, uh, you could, could ask, I'm not gonna play, I don't like getting tricked like this, but if you ask how many of you have a car, you might raise your hand. You say, well, no, God has a car. 
The earth is the Lord. Everything in it is God's. Now you say, I have a car. I worked. I earned money. I, I uh, bought it. I own the title. So I'm not, I'm not denying property rights. So don't think that you can just take, you know, J.K.'s car because you don't have a car. He doesn't have a car. That's not what I'm saying. But you're, you're really a steward of your car. It's, it's everything's God's. He has, it's not ultimately yours. Where did the money come for the car? Where did the job come from? Where did the abilities come for which you could work? And where did the energy come from? Uh, where did your life come from? Everything is, is from God and He rules over it all, over it all. So we say, this is your car, God. I'm, I'm simply a steward of it. And that's true with anything. Everything is the Lord's. He has rule, not, but not just the world and everything in it. He's over everyone who lives in the world too. And so it says it's, 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 it's the, the world and those who dwell therein. He's not simply a local or national God. He's, he's the king over the whole universe, over all people. He's not a divine mascot of the Jews. He's, he's sovereign over all. Every person on earth is made by him and is ruled by him. So you could say the, the ISIS, the world and ISIS who dwells in it. And the world and Planned Parenthood workers who dwell in it. The world and, and KKK who dwells in it. God is sovereign over every, everybody. There is no one who's outside of his jurisdiction and territory. He is, that's a comfort to us. When, when it seems like evil men prosper. Abraham Kuyper, Dutch theologian of the 18th, 19th century, or 19th century, he said, in the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not cl- declare, that is mine. And that's, that's what we're saying. Everything is the Lord's. It's all His. And on what basis does the Lord claim this absolute sovereignty and rule? It's creation. It says, for he's founded it upon the waters and established it upon the rivers. He's, the earth belongs to the Lord because he made it. He founded it. He established it. Because God is creator, God is king. Those are inseparable. As creator, he has the right to rule everything that he made. And so this... This debate of origins is not benign. It's not, it's not just a scientific discussion and, and debate. It's so important because it's not just about how the universe is made. It's about who's in charge. Because if God made it all, then he's in charge of it all. If he didn't, he's not. Um, so, so naturalism is not just a denial of creation. Naturalism is the denial of God's sovereign rule. And so it's just, that's just, uh, that's one of the implications of this. And so Psalm 24, as we'll see, it'll end with God's entrance into Jerusalem. But the God of Israel is not just king of the Jews. He's king of the whole earth. And that's how the psalm begins. He's sovereign over all. And so the psalm begins with this, just God's cosmic kingship. How does that help us? Oh, immensely. And we talked about this this morning. The Great Commission, the preamble that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Christ. But, but here, this truth helps us live in this world without fear. Um, and we do 
face fears, don't we? We struggle. I mean, we, we have anxiety. We have worry. But this helps us. The world is not in total chaos. It's not out of control. God is on His throne. Um, uh, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory because of Your loving kindness, because of Your truth. Why should the nations say now, where is their God? Psalmist reply, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. God is sovereign and that's un. That's unstoppable. Things aren't out of control. The earth and everything in it, and everyone on it belongs to the Lord alone. And it's stable because He's sovereign. And so you have Hebrews 1.3. Christ is continually upholding all things by the word of His power. Colossians 1.17. Christ is before all things and in Him all things hold together. That doesn't mean that there aren't tornadoes and earthquakes and floods and, and uh, all those kinds of disasters. It doesn't mean there won't be wars or terrorists or... or um, you know, upheavals and revolutions. But God's ownership guarantees a certain stability in, in His world. It, it's what allows for things like science. And so there's order, there's predictability, and you can study and you make observations and, and hypothesize because of the order of creation. And it's also what allows for us to have sanity. I mean, to, to know that God is on His throne. And so we can, we can go on. There's a certain steadiness about life and God's world that we can depend upon. Uh, in the theology of Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow. And, and you can bet your bottom dollar. That's, that, I don't know. But, I was, yeah, but it, there's, 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 there's consistency. There's stability to that. It's, it's truth. And that's a comfort to us. The, the world is held in the nail-scarred hands of Christ. And we have great comfort in that reality. That means I'm not going to go crazy when I see the headlines tomorrow, no matter what they contain. Because Christ is holding it together. He's ruling. Alright, so that that's, that's stanza one. King of glory, is, he rules over creation. Second, the king of glory rules his sanctuary. If you want to put a little imperative next to that, it will be consecrate. Consecrate. So if God is the sovereign king of all creation, then the question of verse 3 makes complete sense. Who then shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Now, before we answer that, in verses in verses 4 to 6, he's going to give us the answer to that. But just stop and marvel at the fact that, one, that we can actually approach the God of verses 1 and 2. The God who made all things and who rules everything, there is a way to approach this God. That's our God is awesome and He's approachable. What a what a God we serve and know. Um, he holds the whole world in His hands, and yet we can still meet with Him. That's incredible. And so who has permission to enter the royal court to have an audience with this king who rules everything, created everything? Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, you say, I just say, that's not meant to frustrate worship. That's, that's meant to facilitate it. He's not trying to say, well, nobody can then. He's saying, this is, there's a way. That, that, that we can't waltz casually into the presence of this king 
to come into the presence of this king, we need both inward integrity, outward obedience, obedience, clean hands, pure heart, doesn't swear deceitfully, doesn't bow, uh, lift up a soul to what is false. So clean hands, pure heart, clean hands, not just not personal hygiene, not even ritual cleanliness, I don't think is the idea. It's, it's has, it has to do with keeping God's commands, obedience. A pattern of life free from charges of wrong or inconsistency, one commentator said. That's good. And a pure heart, that's inward holiness, integrity in our core, and that mission control of our life. We need purity there. He does not lift up a soul to what is false. It's, it, that expression, lift up one's soul, it's just full-fledged commitment or trust. It doesn't trust and what is false or worthless? It could even be translated idol, as some of your uh, Bible versions may, may have translated it that way. False God. There's no divided affection or allegiance or confidence. It's, it's the Lord alone. It does not swear deceitfully. That's speech marked by integrity. It doesn't swear false oaths in order to take advantage of people. So our deeds, our dispositions, our affections, our... Our words, they're all under the scrutiny of God as we approach this king. And if you have any sensitivity at all left in your conscience, you're ready to throw up your hands in despair and say, well, there's no chance. It's it's not possible ever to come into this king's presence. But but that's that's not right. That's not that despair isn't. It's not the right response because what the Lord requires, the Lord also provides. That any faithful Israelite would cling to the words of passages like Leviticus 17.11. I have given it the blood for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. That the way back to clean hands and a pure heart and right affections and truthful speech is the atoning blood of a sacrifice that covers it all. Well, as Christians, New Covenant believers, we... We we have we understand the full meaning of that. We're driven back to First John one seven to the to the blood of Jesus His Son that keeps on cleansing us from every sin, and so this is our hope. So we come clean hands, pure heart. So verse four, there's conviction, but it's conviction that drives us to restoration, repentance. Verse five, He. We'll receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness, justification, vindication from the God of his salvation. So it's not justification by works. It's God who saves. It's the God of his salvation. We need a savior from sin. All those who ascend the hill of the Lord need a savior from sin. Such, verse 6, is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Jacob. Now I'm translating that. It's different than the ESV there, and I'll explain why. Verse 6 is a hard verse to translate. The language in the Hebrew is very concise and choppy, as it often is in Hebrew poetry. But some, like the ESV, they add the God of Jacob. But it's, it's really not that God of is an addition to the Hebrew text. It's better just to maintain the simple Hebrew text, the New King James Version, if you use that. Uh, keeps that, and it just says, this. basically, this is Jacob. The generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. So those who seek God in the psalmist generation are Jacob or are Israel. It's a, it's a, the, Jacob is a parallel to the generation. This is the true Israel, those who seek God's face. 
Well, of this, these verses here in verses 3 and 3 to 6, the Charles Spurgeon, I, I just thought this was a helpful way of, to summarize this. He says, it's possible that you're saying, I shall never enter into the heaven of God, for I have neither clean hands nor a pure heart. He says, look then to Christ, who has already climbed the holy hill. He has entered as the forerunner of those who trust him, follow in his footsteps and repose upon his merit. He rides triumphantly into heaven, and you shall ride there too if you trust him. And how can I get the character described, say you? The Spirit of God will give you that. He will create in you a new heart and a right spirit. Faith in Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit and has all virtues wrapped up in it. That's good. All right, third, third movement in the psalm, and then we'll sing and pray. Is that the King of Glory rules over the future? He rules over the future, and this the verb here would be celebrate, celebrate. That the psalm's climax comes in this final stanza. David's asserted God's rule over all creation. He's explained that he has, he has. Uh, who has the right to enter into his royal presence? Now the king's the king comes in glory, and so he's throw open the gates and let the king of glory in. And this last stanza is this form of of dialogue. It's antiphonal. It's a song with this call and response. And so in David's day, it would have been sung probably by a choir of Levites and then a soloist, kind of singing back and forth. And so verse seven. You you can picture this almost with this entourage, with the king coming into the city, coming to the gate and calling out to the gatekeeper on the other side. And then the gatekeeper responding back, who is this king of glory? And then responding, that's kind of the picture here. But verse 7 again, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Open the gates that the king of glory may come in. And then the response, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This Lord of all creation, rules over all, who's in, in, who's approached only by those who have clean hands and pure and heart, and clean hands and pure hearts. He is the King of glory. Now this, this is, again, it was revealed when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. I think that's, that was a demonstration of this. It was revealed when Jesus made his entrance into the, uh, into the royal court on Palm Sunday, his royal entrance into, on Palm Sunday. It was, it, it even, the, the celebration, uh, that celebration and anticipated, uh, another entrance as, as Jesus ascended to heaven after accomplishing redemption for sinners by his death and resurrection. And in fact, in liturgical churches, David, you may speak to this, but Psalm 24 is sung on Ascension Sunday. That, 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 it's there. It's, and you think, well, did the angels sing Psalm 24? Christ having finished and made full atonement for sin. And those things in which the angels long to look. Is this what they were singing as Christ entered back to be in the Father's right hand, and after ascending to heaven, and that's uh, speculation. But, but even more than that, and this is what I think is important for us to see, is that this psalm anticipates the day when the King of Glory will return to Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, will reign as King. He will reign from God's holy hill, establish His earthly kingdom, 
And that day is yet future. And what this is showing us is the king, this king of glory, he rules the future. He's coming. Nothing's going to thwart his plan. He's coming back. And he's going to reign in righteousness. He's strong and mighty. He's mighty in battle. This king is coming. And that is great comfort to us, isn't it? He's not just the Lord of the temple. He's the Lord of the battlefield. And all of the injustice, all of the unrighteousness, all of the wickedness in this world, he's going to deal with it. Even though time, at times it looks like evil is winning and the wicked seem to be prospering, Jesus will come one day as a warrior. He is beckoning now out of love. He's calling wicked men to repent and to believe in him and know life. But if they refuse, it's going to come as a warrior. And he will bash into pieces the shackles of, of, of our enemies. And he's going to wield the sword for the weary. He's coming. Revelation 19. He's not a wimp. He doesn't smell like fruity hand cream. Uh, no offense if you wear hand cream, men. But he's a warrior. And he's returning. And, and, and that's the picture here. He's our defender in the thick of battle. He's he's strong. He's mighty. He's mighty in battle. So, come Lord Jesus. That's part of our response tonight. Well, we need these words. We need to rub Psalm 24 into the pores of our souls, don't we? We need to get it that everything... Everything that exists, everything we have, everything we are, it all belongs to the Lord. That's one of the things we need to really grasp. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Again, connecting it to this morning. Uh, I'd say another implication is just in order to serve God and please Him, there ought to be a pursuit of clean hands and a pure heart and purity in heart, word, deed. We approach the Lord, yes, covered by the blood of Christ, but that functional holiness of life, 